Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds one. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you have not already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. We always want to hear from you and get your feedback. And of course, read us over at IndyCornrows.com. We have a lot kicking now that the season is getting closer to underway, less than 50 days until it is upon us, which is still kind of wild to say. Um, I am really psyched today to be joined by two friends of mine and two really great podcasters and just people in general, Brian Tapork and Morton Jensen from over at the NBA pod. Uh, I'll start with you, Brian. How are you doing this morning, man? I'm doing well, Mark. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, I appreciate you guys taking the time. Mort, how are you doing, man, over in Denmark? <laughs> Doing very, very well. It is definitely not the morning, but uh, that is okay. <laughs> you know, just like in America, we, we compare everything to what we're doing instead of looking at what anybody else is doing. So uh, it's only fair. Um, I'm really stoked to have you guys on A because, uh, I mean, you're one of the few people. I, I'm a few people. Geez, I can't, can't English this morning. Uh, you guys actually talk about the Indiana Pacers on your pod, which is more than you can say about most national outlets. Um, and I know you guys both are relatively high on them compared to where I think the national set is. Um, I've been trying to parse through where I'm at in terms of observing the league and where they're at as a team right now. Obviously, they're in a saying that they're in a state of upheaval compared to where they've been the last couple of years is, is definitely a fair statement. Um, I think I just want to ask first and foremost, um, in looking around the league uh, and looking at this team right now, I mean, what is your general feeling coming into the year uh, based on the changes or, or sort of lack thereof that came this offseason? Most of the changes obviously were internal um, with coaching and whatnot. But um, I mean, how are you feeling about the state of the roster right now in general? I'll start with you, Mort. No, I, I like the roster. I, I don't know where to place it when it comes to like league-wide territory because I think so many Makes teams made. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, so many teams made such such drastic changes that I think we we kind of need to get into the regular season and let things calm down a little bit before we really understand like what are the truly great teams, what teams are going to be disappointing, all of that. But uh, so I I, I go I kind of pivot back to just the quality of the roster and the talent level, which I think is substantial, and I have. No clue whatsoever why the national media is not picking up on that. I think the evolution of O'Shea last year was huge. I mean, you essentially got someone in who is a pseudo starter or at like at the worst thing, maybe a seventh man who is still young enough to get better over the next three or four years. And somehow that was glossed over. I, I don't understand that. You know, we have T.J. Warren coming back. Karis LeVert is fortunately healthy. He should be back and, and, and fully ready to go. You still have that little weird logjam up front, of course, with Sabonis and Miles Turner. But still, I mean, those two in their own ways are, are just tremendous. Like you have one of the best defensive interior players in, in Turner, of course. And then you just have Jokic East in, in Sabonis, really. And I, yeah, you could argue, do the pieces fit optimally? Probably not. But just having that level of talent to go off of in the first place and then making changes from that is a hell of a good place to be compared to other franchises that don't even have that talent level. Yeah. And then, I mean, Brian, I'm, I'm assuming you're, you're kind of coming from the same place with that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, sports in general are like a what have you done for me lately kind of league. Yep. And the Pacers last year through the Bjorkren disaster. Especially. It didn't happen as far as I'm concerned. That, right. that, that year of my life, you know, 2020 didn't happen. So, <laughs> fine. Uh, yeah, it's probably for the best to just forget, flush that out. That's why they did the 2019 26ers. It just didn't happen. But yeah. I mean, they are an example of how, you know, you can turn things around very quickly. Um, I think the upgrade to, Rick Carlisle is going to be huge for them. Um, I mean, it's just health for this team, right? We haven't seen this starting lineup or like the Pacers starting lineup in general healthy in now two years. So if these guys, if you can have Brogdon, Lavert, Warren, Turner, Sabonis stay healthy, you know, I do, I think these guys are a threat to Milwaukee and Brooklyn in the East. No, I don't, you know, I, I put them probably a tier below, I think Miami's going to be in that top four mix. We'll see what happens with Philly. No one knows what to do with them right now until they resolve the Ben Simmons situation. I think Atlanta. I heard tweeting works. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I think Atlanta coming off the Eastern Conference Finals run, they didn't lose anyone of real consequence this offseason. So I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt. But, you know, I don't see why the Pacers can't be in the mix with, you know, Chicago, um, New York, New York. Yeah. The yeah. Hornets, I think are going to be probably in that, you know, I, I think these are all like play in caliber teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, the wizards, I think, you know, potentially got a lot better this off season. So I, I think the Pacers are probably going to be in the play in tournament. Like I, I think it, the, the sixth seed is probably their ceiling, but I also don't think, I'm not like writing them off completely coming into this season. Like Orlando, I'm out. Detroit, I'm out. Cleveland, I'm pretty out. So like right there, those three teams, you know, are 13, 14, 15. You only have like two other spots that you need to jump over to get in the playing tournament. So I think that's going to give fans a lot of hope in general, not just of Pacers fans, but around the league. Like it's not that hard to get into the playing tournament anymore. And that all you have to do is win one or two games and you're in the playoffs at that point. I'd probably have the Pacers a little bit over the uh, the Wizards, though, right? I might just be higher on the Wizards in general because of, you know, I think trading Russ for all of that depth. Mm. I don't know. I We'll see. I, like, I, I, I don't feel strongly one way or the other. I don't have any major strong yeah. convictions about it. And, like, same with Charlotte. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, how I rank those three teams. I have no idea. It comes down to injuries, honestly. Yeah, well, let's parse through the East because that's one of one of the reasons I want to bring you guys on today because that's where, where I'm trying to get is thinking, okay, well, where do I think this team falls out? Um, like you mentioned, like I think it's entirely possible that they could become a higher seed, but it's also like if they are a playing team again, you know, I'm not really that surprised. Like anything could happen this year. A lot feels like banking on um, health and internal development in some ways, and we can talk more on that later. But like I think you look at it, and ultimately, like you're mentioning, like, I think Charlotte, I don't want to say I, saying that they're slept on feels like a ball don't stop kind of thing to say. But like, <laughs> it's just true. Like Charlotte. OK, I don't I don't think that they're necessarily a playoff team. But just looking at last year, they were the four seed until Gordon Hayward got hurt. And then they were still hanging on until Lamelo missed a month. Like they were a very solid team last year. They did get better as much as people are going to say, well, oh, they traded for Mason Coleman. Well, they were starting Bismack Biombo for half the year last year. And he was probably 
the worst center who played 20 minutes per game in the NBA. Like I love biz, but like he can't catch a basketball. Like it's just, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like that, that is what it is. Like adding as much as people are going to, again, clown Kelly Oubre, like Kelly Oubre is still a solid player. Um, you add him to a rotation that could use more solid players. I, I just, I think that there's a real chance. Charlotte is still a very competitive team next year. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what to make of Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, where are you guys at with the Raptors? Because for me, like I look at that team and it's like, well, all this stuff happened about potentially trading Pascal. And this roster just feels like very kind of torn in two directions in some ways. Um, and it feels like they're ripe to make some kind of move if they do as you know, it depends, but um, regardless, it's uh, it's kind of in a weird spot and very different from where they've been the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, I wrote a lot about the Raptors going into this offseason because I think it was such an interesting situation they found themselves in. They could have pivoted both to becoming even more win now as they were a couple of years ago, or they could pivot into being a complete rebuilding team because they have Pascal. They could also flip to over Fred Van Vliet if they wanted to. But it seems like they're going with the Boston Celtics model of, well, we are going to develop young guys. Like we're, we're, we're going ahead with, you know, uh, uh, Gary Trent Jr. Um, oh, my God, I'm totally blanking on the rookie right now. Scotty Barnes. Barnes. There we go. Scotty Barnes. Wow. <laughs> See, the, the, I'm just coming off work. So my it's head been a elsewhere. very long offseason. Yeah. Yes. But but I mean, they're going with with with. You know that model of we are going to try to be competitive while we develop a bunch of players which okay i mean i don't personally I, I see a lot of teams are doing that and i don't really know whether that's justified because it didn't really work in boston but somehow yeah. it's a way like teams seems to be copying that mentality like okay but like overall i think they're a pretty good example of the east overall getting better because they Again, they still have Pascal Siakam. They still have Fred Van Lead. Garrett Trent Jr. is really good. I mean, Scotty Barnes is going to be really good. They they have a lot of, of talent. And we are sitting here going, do they even make the playoffs? Are they even going to be in the play-in? Like the Eastern Conference right now is loaded, which also just puts Indiana's situation in, in sort of a, a, an interesting uh, perspective, right? Because where do they go? Like they have a lot of talent, but given the strengthening of the East, where does that put them? So, yeah, I, I, it's it's such a hard uh, question, such a tough question to try to figure out, like, where did the all, these all land? I really think we don't know jack shit until we're, like, 25, 30 games into the season. Yep. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think there are only three teams. Honestly, two te- Detroit and Orlando are the only two teams going into the year in the rebuilding mindset. Cleveland's... Right. I don't think is I, like, I don't think they're going to make the play. Well, they will be, but I, I mean, you know, they, they are at least convinced, especially with this marketing acquisition, like sure. they, they clearly want to take a step forward. I don't think they have the talent to do so yet, but the, you can make a case. The other 12 teams in the East are all going into the season, at least saying we could be in the play tournament. Mm. We have a chance to make it. And two teams are going to end up disappointed in that mix um toronto for me i think it's a question of their depth more than anything else like i really like how they're starting five fifths together with van vliet gary trent og ananobi siakam kem birch played well for them after he came over late last year you have chris boucher off the bench we'll see what happens with goran dragic but if if they don't trade him right away or if he actually shows up and contributes he could be a nice piece you know, Malachi Flynn, Precious Achua. So they have talent, but after that, there is a drop-off, especially if Goran 
doesn't play for them or leaves by the trade deadline, you know, it gets thin quickly. So if they have one or two injuries, that's where, I mean, we saw it last year. That's where they could really fall apart. I think I'd put the Pacers above them because of the depth concerns right now. Mm. But like, again, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see the Raptors as the 10 seed once the season concludes. It's just, I think you said it well, Mark, they're a team where I'm waiting to see what happens both with, you know, with Dragic, because he very much made it clear he wants to go to Dallas. Uh, and then, you know, they keep popping up in these Ben Simmons trade rumors as well, which I don't entirely understand. Like maybe that's more of a three-team construct than just Simmons going to the Raptors, but we'll see how that would affect I mean, regardless of whether it's a two-team deal, three-team deal, if they work their way into that trade, that could just totally change their perspective this year as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we'll talk about Ben a little bit later because I did have questions about him. Oh, um, well, <laughs> yes, we do have a lot to talk about with that. Um, well, you mentioned the Wizards, and I think this is a great point too. Um, like, I understand it's really difficult to talk about Russ sometimes because I think there's got to be a lot of nuance with it. Like, looking at Russ last year was obviously a tale of two seasons, and – you can kind of say that about his last two years. Um, obviously, the back end of last year uh, was fantastic. He looked like an all-NBA player. The first 35 games, no. Like, I mean, he was very clearly a minus for the Wizards. Um, a lot of that is due to injury, but just frankly, that's what happened. But now you add in Spencer Dinwiddie, I don't know what to expect from him coming back from, from a pretty significant injury. But also, we've seen guys come back from that. I expect Spencer to be solid. He's a better defender than Russ at this stage, just to be completely honest. Like he's going to be more. Well, you are too. Mark. Well, <laughs> yes, that is, that is a fair way to put it. Um, but I do think like all around, I think Spencer makes a little bit more sense with, with Bradley Beal. Like you mentioned, the depth is fantastic. Like because of, you know, how, how we tend to think about the NBA. The first thing that I thought of when the Russ trade happened was, wow, I wonder how this Russ fit works more like, how are they replacing Contavious Caldwell Pope? Um, I think that was a great addition for Washington. I do think like you add in somebody like Montrezl Harrell, who um, again, I think people get way too caught up in what he, he struggles with in the playoffs. Like he's a fantastic regular season player. I think we kind of underrate how important it is to have innings eaters off the bench. who can be a positive out there. Montrez does that. Daniel Gafford is back. Like, I think this team is deeper. They're going to be better. Um, they may, well, maybe they don't have the same ceiling as a playoff team. I think as a regular season team, if you're getting the same Bradley Beal as last year with maybe some improvements on defense, like I do think mm -hmm. uh, that's that's still a really solid team that's obviously gunning for the playoffs. They're based on the moves that they're making. They're not trying to be a uh, a lottery team. You, if you have Bradley Beal and you're trying to be a lottery team, then you're doing it wrong. Obviously, Washington did do it wrong for a while, but that's another thing. But <laughs> I mean, this team's going to be solid still. Yeah, it, it feels like there's another shoe to drop with them too, just because yeah. they are so lopsided in like wings, forwards, and centers. And like, I mean, you've got Dinwiddie and Beal as a starting backcourt. You have KCP as well. But after that, like Aaron Holiday, who I like, he can be the backup mm -hmm. guard. But like, are, are we playing Kyle Kuzma at the two at some point this year? I mean, yeah. you know, you've got the two Hachimura, you have Denny, you have Davis Bertans, you have Gafford and Bryant, you have Kuzma, you have Montrez. It, it just feels like they're due to trade one of those guys for more of a two, three type. And if they can do that, I feel a lot better about their chances. You know, again, I put them probably in the lower 
end of the teams that are going into the season, hoping to make it to the playing tournament. Like I think they end up in that nine, 10, 11, 12 mix. I don't see them as a real threat for a top six seed at all. Yeah. But I, I do think, you know, looking ahead, Bradley Beal was going to be one of the most popular names to come up over the next year with trade speculation. I think the moves that they made this summer, I don't know if it's enough to convince him to stay long-term, but I think they definitely increased their chances of keeping him around. And it wouldn't totally shock me if we get to October, then we hear that Bradley Beal signing, you know, maybe it's not a five-year extension, but maybe he doesn't like another one or two year deal because he says, okay, you guys actually, we looked like we were dead in the water after that playoff loss and we have rust for two more years. And like now all of a sudden we have depth, we have flexibility. This is great. And, and we have Giannis apparently. <laughs> oh God. Giannis 2.0. Giannis oh, 2.0, right? <laughs> Don't remind me. Yes. Any international player with a semi-long last name is Giannis 2.0. How could yeah. I forget? <laughs> um, I actually do like Rui. I am a Rui guy, to be honest. Yeah. I do. Yeah, I think he improved a lot last year. Um, but like you mentioned, like they have so like they're they're a very oddly constructed team right now. Like I think they have a lot more flexibility than they did last year, obviously. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of moves they make because they have guys that would be very interesting to other teams as well. So you look at it and say, okay, well, we'll see where it goes. I feel, I mean, honestly, I feel pretty positive about the Wizards for the first time in a while. Um, like I think Tommy Shepard's done a pretty good job of of uh, rearranging things. I still am never going to forgive Scott Brooks for destroying Isak Bonga and, and Troy Brown Jr. <laughs> but you know that's a again another discussion. Um, well, let's move on. I think the the Chicago Bulls are a, very similar to the Pacers. I think other than the Pacers, they're the team that I have no idea where to place in this coming year. I think I've found myself a lot higher on them than other people. Um, because especially like looking at at the way that we're talking about teams, I understand. I, I think we have to sometimes separate playoff viability and where a team's going to finish in the regular season. Because, well, okay, you can look at it and say, well, you know, this team is probably maybe they don't win a second round series, but I do think you could see them being a top four or five seed in some ways. Um, like I think that's very possible with the Bulls, and I understand there are real concerns about their defense. I think they've been sort of overblown. Like I get it, Demar is a very bad defender. I think Vooch is a better defender than he gets credit for. And I also think Billy Donovan's going to put them in better situations than people are giving than, than people are making it out to be. Like, I think you can look at it and say, oh, well, you know, they're going to get absolutely destroyed and pick and roll. Well, also, they're going to do things to make it so that's not happening all the time. Like, it, it's a two-way battle. And also, you're not – I mean, during the regular season, unless you're having some more of the back-to-backs like we saw this past year, um, you're not seeing the same kind of tactical, strategic battles that – are going to happen in the playoffs that are going to really nitpick and uh, and degrade some of the, some of the uh, issues that a team could have defensively. So, like, I, I don't think they're going to be an above-average defense, but I think if they're, like, 16th or 17th in defense, that would not surprise me at all. I think that they have enough surrounding pieces, and a lot of it's just going to come down to coaching for me. But I look at that offense, and I think, okay, you have the best driver that that – Zach Levine's ever played with and probably the best facilitator passer that he's ever played with because DeMar is a better passer at this stage than Jimmy Butler was. Uh, no, Jimmy Butler never played with Zach. They trade period for each other. Point being like, yeah, there's right. Zach has never played with a passer at the level of DeMar adding that in on top of everything Vooch can do as a post facilitator popper, especially like, I just think that we have overthought the bulls in some ways, especially in terms of looking at the contract, like whatever, you know, DeMar got paid a lot of money. 
but he's a good player and the Bulls are trying to be good right now. So I, I think maybe I, it, it comes off a little reductive the way that I talk about the Bulls, but I also think we just kind of have to realize, okay, good players are good. This team should be pretty good next year. Like, where, where are you guys at with the Bulls right now? Oh, absolutely agree with you on that. Look, this is a team that trotted out Denzel Valentine, Ryan Archidiakono, and Cristiano Felicio last year. And people be, are like, oh, well, you overpaid DeMar DeRozan. Like, are you kidding me? Like, when you replace the minutes of those, that, that, that trio of abomination with <laughs> DeMar DeRozan and Alex Caruso and, and all these, these new players – like you are going to get better. You you kind of said it yourself with with Zach. Like he's never played with this this much playmaking before. There's there are actually multiple layers to this. So Demar has never played with the same level of spacing before. Vucevic mm-hmm. has never played with the same level of talent before. This has a potential to be one of the most explosive explosive offenses in the entire NBA. And for Zach specifically, he played with you know Thomas Satoransky and Kobe White as his point guards last season. And yet he was one of the most effective off-ball players in the entire NBA. Imagine what he'll do now that he has competent passers alongside him. Yet for some reason, and I won't mention any names that worked for the Athletic, it's all about the, this negative hive mind of all oh, Zach Levine is an all-stats guy and nothing else, which if, if you are of that opinion still, then you haven't watched him play for two years. And I don't, I, I like, I won't attack anyone for not having watched the Bulls a lot over the past half decade because they have been both boring and bad. But Levine is good and you add good players to him. So obviously, like you said, Mark, you need to simplify and just go, there is talent now. This isn't entirely dissimilar to the Pacers where you just need to get in quality players and then you'll figure it out from there. Chicago's roster two years from now isn't locked into being the same roster that it is right now necessarily. Right now, they just need to get back into relevance. And you know what? Everyone is talking about them, but per definition, they're relevant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like what Atlanta did last off season where you just, I, this was your last chance to really go out and spend like this because Levine's up for this max deal that next summer. So you either use it or you lose it. And you bring in so many upgrades in ball DeRozan Caruso. Now you you're starting five of ball Levine DeRozan, Patrick Williams and Vooch. And then you still have Caruso, Kobe white, Troy Brown, Jr. You just got Derek Jones, Jr. Tony Bradley off the bench. Like, that's a legit 10 man rotation. I mean, it's just a lot of talent there and it's and Millsap maybe. Right. I, yeah, exactly. I mean, they, they're still going after Millsap. I, I mean, it sounds like he has a, a number of suitors, so I'm not right. sure that they're going to actually get him, but you know, that it's a good reminder that they aren't necessarily a finished product as is, but even if they are, I feel very confident in their top 10 and there aren't a ton of teams that I can say that about. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you guys. I think, you know, I, I would be surprised if the Bulls finish outside the top eight. I think they have a yeah. real shot at the top six seed. And then, Mark, you said it well. I mean, the do I think they're going to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals this year? Probably not, you know, barring a Hawks-esque run. But, I, you know, worry about the playoffs when we get to the playoffs. So we're focused on the regular season here, and I think they're going to be a very good regular season team. Yeah, exactly. And I think my way of looking at it, too, like I think especially for a team like the Bulls, you have to get good at some point. Like you can't just keep being a team over and over again and saying, well, we're going to try and 
uh, assess where we're at, bring in more talent. Like Zach Levine was a borderline top 15 player last year before uh, he had to miss a month with health and safety protocols. Like I think at some point, like the Arturis Karnishevis and um, Mark Everly said, okay, we have a player that we are not going to be able to get in the draft uh, or through trade. So we have to build around him and see what we can do. And I get, like, I understand, but I also, like, I understand why people get frustrated, but I also think, like, it's not championship or bust. Like, you can't just go from being a 28-win team to being a 55-win team that goes to the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, that just doesn't happen very often, unless you're, I like, I, again, I, I say that, and Atlanta pretty much did that last year, but you know what, that's, it, again, it, t- it takes an entire set of circumstances for that to happen. Um, the last team that I want to hit on before Actually, two teams that I want to hit on before we I, I, I send you guys a couple of quick hitter questions. Um, Boston, I feel better about Boston now uh, that obviously they had the Dennis Schroeder move came through for them. Um, some moves that kind of went their way towards the end of, of the cycle. Um, I still feel like uh, like I, I think Jason Tatum is was just about a top 10 player last year. He's going to make even more strides this year, I'd imagine. Um, but I also think that team is pretty flawed in a lot of ways. I really don't trust their big man rotation. I like Robert Williams, the third, I just don't like health is such a big question with him. Um, Al Horford, I think I'm higher on Al Horford than, than general consensus. Like I thought he was very good when he was with OKC last year, obviously they were a top 10 defense when he was playing. And then mysteriously, he was not playing anymore. Uh, not so mysteriously, I should say, but, uh, like, I think he's still more in the stage of being like, like we've seen with Paul Millsap recently, like playing 20 to 25 minutes per game, he can still start. But if you're relying on him to be this guy who is gluing everything together for you, I don't really know how I feel about that. Um, I mean, how have you felt about Brad Stevens's moves as GM so far, which is still so weird to say in my mind. (laughs) I mean, so, so for those who aren't familiar with the NBA podcast, Brian has made it his personal mission to basically drive away every single Boston fan um, <laughs> that, that, that could be listening to us. And I, and I hate him for it, but since we're not doing the NBA podcast right now, I'm just going to sacrifice my time and let Brian go in on Boston <laughs> as an organization, because we're not we're, right now. We can't lose listeners. So go ahead, Brian, knock your socks off. I've been nice about Boston this off season. I'm getting it all out of the way now so I can start crapping on them once the season starts. Oh, of course but, you are. God damn it. But, but I mean, I'd be nice on our podcast about them. I, I'm actually pretty high on what they've done this off season. I mean, by all accounts, Kemba's knees are just toast. Like I, I hope it's not true. And I hope he has a great season with the Knicks, but I don't think the Celtics could go into next season counting on Kemba Walker to stay yeah. healthy and be their starting point guard. Like the, the guy they signed two years ago just does not sound like he's going to come back at any point. So right. turning him into Horford, who already has chemistry with these guys. And as you said, Mark, he, he played well in OKC last year. The Philly thing was a disaster because of a bad team fit. I don't think that's going to be the case in Boston. We've seen him play well with the Jays. You know, I think playmaking is the big concern for this team. If Marcus Smart is your starting point guard and, you know, you have Josh Richardson, the Jays, and Horford. You're going to have to lean on a lot of iso ball, I think, from the Jays, and then Horford's going to have to facilitate some, which he he can do. But you're not, I don't think anyone on this team is going to average like even six assists per game, which is wild to say. Um, getting Schroeder, I think, is going to be a big lift for them. 
I think, uh, you know, depth would have been a concern for them. Otherwise, I, Peyton Pritchard did play well last year and was way too good for summer league this summer. So I think there is some optimism with him and then Aaron Neesmith as well. Health for sure is a concern with Robert Williams, but the rotation of him and Cantor backing up Warford, like I think you can piece together a center rotation between those three guys. So I actually, I like Boston. I'm relatively high on them this year, but a lot of that is just faith in like Tatum. I agree with you is, you know, all NBA caliber talent. Brown is an all-star as well. Like I'm trusting their top end talent to carry them. If either one of those guys goes down, then we're in some trouble. Yeah. Where is this diplomacy on our podcast? Where <laughs> is that? Nice. Oh, I've wow. Been... All right. You know what? I'm not going to sacrifice my time then. Screw you, Brian. <laughs> Damn it. Wow. All right. No, I, I actually agree with the with the very level-headed, level-headed mind of Brian Zaporek for a change here when it comes to Boston. Um, no, I, I, I think I'm... I'm very high on the Robert Williams extension personally. Mm -hmm. I understand the injury concerns. Trust me, I do. But if healthy, and and I'm the guy who always looks at the glass half full when it comes to like health issues, especially for young players, assuming you haven't been through, you know, a a major career defining injury. So I'm going to be optimistic and say, he's probably going to play a little bit more. He's going to be healthier. And he's a guy who can really pass the ball. He's a strong shot blocker. He's one of the most athletic big men in the entire NBA. He also understands when not to take a shot, which honestly I think is such an overlooked thing in basketball, especially for young guys. Like there's a reason he's shooting 72% from the field. And I realize he's limited in that. Like he's not going to go out and like do hesitation pull-ups from 15 feet and all that. But, but for just for him to recognize, yeah, you know what? My bread and butter is right along, like right near the basket. It is lobs. It is cleanups. It is all these kinds of things. That is such a luxury for for young players knowing to play within their roles and star in it. So for that, I think that was a huge, huge get for them to lock them up or lock him up rather. Then we come to Dennis Schroeder. I would have been nervous about sort of if he had signed anywhere for like the 20 million things that were, that were reported mm-hmm. for the Celtics to get him at 5.9. And I know it's just one year, Brian, you kind of said it. I mean, having that depth off the bench, someone who can come in and just score get you 18, 19 points if you need to, that is going to lessen the offensive pressure of the two Js, which frankly is going to be necessary. Otherwise, the, both of them would have to average 30 this year because looking at that roster, there is not a whole lot of offense uh, on it if, if you remove shorter from the equation. So I think that was huge as well. I think both of those guys are going to improve. I do just overall question where they go from here? What's their next step? This was supposed to be this team that had, you know, Jalen and Jason, they were going to, you know, make additional moves and become the, the, the princes of the NBA. And it hasn't happened. Like I I'm just sitting here kind of waiting for what's next. What, what is the next level that they're trying to get to? Because I, I don't see that pathway a whole lot. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that's kind of where I'm at too, because um, we've looked at everything. And like you mentioned earlier with Boston, like a lot of it has felt like they were trying to bring along uh, Jalen and Jason. And it also felt too, like they were expecting more of their picks to work out than, than did happen. Obviously. I mean, hitting on Jason and Jalen is the best part and, and the hardest part to make happen. But um, by, I mean, other than Rob will, and I mean, obviously, I mean, cases still, I mean, Peyton Pritchard and, and Aaron Neesmith had solid years. I don't necessarily know entirely what to expect from them this year. Like I think Neesmith will be, better i really liked him down the stretch last year and i actually like looking at their construction now i wouldn't be shocked if he starts because 
you'll need space and you'll need another wing out there. I don't think you can start Josh Richardson personally. Um, <laughs> I, we'll see. Like I still, I, I try very hard. I have like way too much Josh Richardson stock still. He was one, like, I mean, his, Me his 18, 19 year in Miami was just incredible to watch. Um, since then it, nothing has happened. He hasn't played for two years as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, just better conceptually than he is. Yes, actually. Yeah, like, exactly. You, you, it, you like view him from afar and you're like, Oh wow, this guy is a really good basketball player. And then you watch him every night and you're like, Ooh, yeah. Oh yeah. It's I sold my too. stocks and it feels, it feels great. Just letting yeah. you guys yeah. know. Well, I, I'll, I'll keep hoarding them so he can win six man of the year this year or something. But <laughs> um, I mean, it's hard. Cause like he has to have the ball in his hands to be pretty effective. So like, mm-hmm. I think you can see like, there's, there's talent on the team. I question a little bit how the depth fits and, and what it looks like around Jason and Jalen, like we've talked about. Um, but it, again, they're a team who feels like, okay, what is, is there a move for them this year? Because it feels like there has to be. And I don't, I don't necessarily know if I agree with like trying to stockpile everything and wait for Bradley Beal. I don't know if that's, you know, necessarily what they're trying to do. It seems like it in some ways. Um, But like you're mentioning, I think their next step is okay. Who is somebody that can fit alongside them? That makes sense. Um, And they're still trying to find that, but regardless, I think they're going to be a playoff team this year. I would have them above the play in currently just because, Again, a lot of it is relying on health, but I think if they are healthy, which again, you can say for every team, um, I mean, I, I just believe in them as a team overall. They feel deeper than last year, even like if Chris Dunn is 90, 95% of what he was with the Bulls, like he's a rotation player, even if it's an imperfect player. Like I think you're hoping for a Romeo Langford step somewhere this year. Um, he had flashes last year. Like there's something to believe in here with the Celtics. Uh but moving to the last thing I want to talk about before we hit on a couple of quick things is the Knicks. Um, the Knicks have been very loud on Twitter. That is for sure. Uh, or I should say Knicks fans. And I understand it. I, I, I love, I love the Knicks fans. Um, please don't, don't kill me on Twitter, but uh, <laughs> in looking at, at where they're at, like, obviously I think they didn't really solve any of their problems this off season. Um, but they also got better in my opinion. Like you, they added more depth. I really like the guys that they drafted, even if it's not necessarily like I liked the guys who they drafted. I don't necessarily love the process behind it. I think that they could have um, like going after somebody like Sharif Cooper would have made a lot of sense for them. You could say that again about like 29 other teams, but um, I, I think they, they saw, okay, well, Julius Randall was really good last year. There's probably going to be some regression this next year because he had just an outlier good year. But I also think, some people are making it out like he's going to just go back to being who he was before this year happened, which I would disagree with. Um, but then you look at everything else and say, okay, Evan Fournier is a really good player. You add him again. He's not a guy who's going to bend the defense for you, but he can continue plays. He can finish plays and he's not going to get absolutely murdered on defense. That's a plus. Um, I think definitely a better player than Reggie Bullock at this stage. Uh, not even just at this stage, just in general. Um, like you add in more guys who make sense around the team. You take a bet on Kemba Walker, which I think makes sense, especially given the way that things worked out. If he's able to play 50 to 60 games and he's healthy for those, like, I think that's a win. Um, like I, I can just squint and say, okay, this team is going to be good. And I appreciate what they did because I think a lot of people really wanted them to go out and try and do something big and flashy. And to me, I appreciate them staying in the course because that's the opposite that, the Knicks have done my entire life. Uh, they've made the playoffs, well, including last year, I think 
twice since I've been able to remember watching basketball. So that's, that's a positive start. Like I think just saying, okay, we're going to bank on being good. And then we can go from there because if you're going to build up some kind of name or brand recognition and quote unquote, take back the city, um, you have to actually win and, and do things in a consistent manner to get there. Like we saw with Brooklyn a little bit. Um, Obviously, it's a different scenario, but I, I feel solid about where the Knicks are at. I don't think they're going to end up the four seed this year, but um, I do think that I don't want to say they've been discounted because I think they've they've been very vocal about it on Twitter. But uh, I do think that they're going to be a solid team again this year. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I was actually one of the people who were on the wagon of, hey, go go all out, like try to trade mm-hmm. for Dame or something along those lines, like uh, use your cap space in that manner, like try to absorb some sort of guy and then give up a lot of assets and then offer a team, you know, immediate financial flexibility as well as young players and draft picks. So that, that I came in with significantly higher expectations. So I was a little bit disappointed over the course yeah. uh, of the early days, but I kind of pivoted and realized, you know what, you know, sticking with the guys that kind of made you go to the playoffs in the first place last year, that's not a bad thing. And at the same time, you do get Kemba Walker in, even though he's not going to be the same player. It, it's a very low risk move because you have Emmanuel quickly waiting in the wings. You have Derek Rose, who's around as well. You have Luca Wildosa as well. Like, so even if, if, and you don't have Alfred Payton, so you that's, don't have Alfred Payton. Yes. Exactly. That's, that's a huge plus in and of itself. And, and you have Barrett coming into year three, right? I mean, you have these many assets working for you. Fournier, like that acquisition, man, I love that so much. I think for him to come in and be that tertiary shooter, floor spacer who can give space to RJ and to Julius, that's huge. Like who they, who was that guy earlier? Reggie Bullock? Like, like, sure, but no one really gave him the same gravity as someone like Evan Fournier. There is substantially more offensive potential in Fournier as, as an individual player. So, no, I, I really like what the Knicks did. Uh, do I think that they're going to make the Eastern Conference Finals and compete for a championship? No, I don't. I, <laughs> I don't. Sorry, Knicks fans. I, I don't think right now, at least two years down the line, maybe we'll see. But they're making these small steps that they should have made nine, ten years ago, where they were so busy every single year, like trading their draft picks, going for someone like established who had turned out to not be established. And yeah, so it's just nice to see the Knicks arm themselves with patience. Is kind of my point. Yeah, I mean, I, they lost. Other than Bullock, they lost no one of real consequence with all due respect to ceremonial starter Alfred Payton and to Frankie Smokes. (laughs) Um, But going from Bullock to Fournier and Kemba should at least help their offense not sputter and die like it did against the Hawks in the playoffs. Um, I think those guys are going to take a lot of pressure off of Barrett. Like it wouldn't surprise me if we see a big year three leap from Barrett and he's probably going to be in the most improved player conversation, which is going to piss Mort off because he's such a high draft pick. I'm already excited about that. <laughs> Ineligible. Ineligible. <laughs> I, I cannot wait until we our first quarter season award spot in December when RJ Barrett is leading on uh, all the odds markets for most approved player. But I, I do think he's probably, because he's going to potentially slide down the hierarchy a little bit, or teams just have to devote more focus to Kemba and to Evan Fournier. It's going to open things up for RJ Moore. Julius Randle isn't going to have to be, you know, the 
the nonstop focal point of this team offensively. You still have Nerlens Noel and Mitchell Robinson as two great shot blocking bigs. Maybe, I mean, Obi Toppin started to come into his own late last season. Maybe we see him carve out more of a consistent role this year. So I'm with you guys. I think they're a clear, you know, they're in the play and mix for sure. They're like, like, I'm not pushing them to 12th in the East or whatever. Um, I still think they're probably a first round out. And this is really just a bet against Kemba making it to April healthy, unfortunately, but hopefully he does. And, you know, maybe, maybe we get the next, the, the Knicks Nets first round series that we've been promised for, feel like the past decade at this point year four kevin knox is going to turn everything around <laughs> there we go yes how can we forget uh he's people forget he was a bucket at summer league um <laughs> yeah I, I don't know like i think i agree that they're probably going to be a first round out but also you never know what's going to happen throughout the year my biggest thing with them too i normally like i just get frustrated with contracts and I, part of the reason i love talking to you guys is because you're in the same boat. Like you don't always love talking about contracts. I mean, it's fine to talk about them, but like, I'm not a huge fan of some of the pocket watching that can happen on Twitter. Like whatever. My biggest thing with looking at them too, is it like, it's less about the years. Like everyone's like, Oh, well you can't give Nerlens Noel three years or this or that. I'm like, well, it gives them flexibility to make moves. Like mm-hmm. having mid tier contracts is one of the most important things for making moves for a star player. They created like five mid tier contracts. This this offseason, that's huge. Like, th- that's one of the issues that the Pacers have had over the last couple of years. They have a lot of guys on contracts that are 16 to $24 million. Those are, it's not that they're harder to move, but it's harder to package them together uh, to make a, a sort of consolidation move. When you have multiple guys making eight to $12 million, that's a lot easier to move, uh, especially when they're good players. So I think in some ways, we just, you know, you, you got to take things with a grain of salt and look at them. And, and this is not me trying to just like push all my own philosophies on everyone else. But um, yeah, I, I think the Knicks are going to be solid and we'll see what happens. I do uh, expect a better playoff series this coming year um, for a lot of a lot of people on that team and just the team in general. But um, we'll see on it. I, I think they, they were a really damn good regular season team and they improved as a regular season team, in my opinion. And, and to your point about the mid-tier contracts, Mark, I mean, the Bulls used Alfredo Gamino to get DeMar DeRozan. Like, that's the kind of blueprint that you're talking about there. Having those guys who come in and, and be able to match salaries is, is huge. And you're, you're right. It's, it's actually something that I think we've brought it up on our podcast before, actually regarding the Pacers, where we've been looking at their salary sheet and going, they kind of need something like one more piece in that eight to $12 million range, because we were, I think we had a trade pot going or something and they came mm-hmm. up as, as one of those things. And it's, it's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's uh it's funny because like, I think you look at that, like Jeremy Lamb is kind of that guy for the Pacers, but also yeah. given his injury and the way things worked out, his contract has been really hard to move based on reporting. Um, So that can, that can transition us to our next part. So I'm going to send some quick hitters at you guys and we'll close out talking about Ben Simmons after um, I'm going to send. All right. So, so questions on internal development, because for me, I look at this roster and a lot of where I think they could be a higher seed team next year. Like I think you could, to me, I think I put this range out yesterday. Um, I think you could see them being as high as four if everything works out and health goes in their way, both in a positive and negative way. So like other teams deal with injuries because that happens. Um, and they're able to stay healthy. Like you could see that happening if things really gel with your Carlisle. 
if they don't have injuries go their way, if there are some speed bumps, um, you could say, okay, well, I could see them being in like the nine to 10 range. That's entirely possible. Part of the reason that I may be leaning a little bit higher up on them being a, uh, a higher seed a is because they need to be, uh, which, you know, that's, <laughs> it's an easy way to hedge your bets. Um, I mean, this team is essentially second round or bust this year uh, after being a first round and out team for, uh, I mean, since 2014, they haven't made it out of the first round, obviously. Um, so I think the, obviously their goal is make the second round and be competitive there. So of course they're trying to make that higher end because if you're the six seed, it's a lot harder to make the second round. Um, so in terms of looking at internal development, my first question I'm going to send you guys away. What do you think about a TJ Warren bump this year? Because I do think it's something I'm not as high on it happening because obviously, unfortunately, missed this last year with the stress fracture in his foot. But I do believe that some of the changes that occurred in his his game when he was in the bubble were legit. Like I, those felt real to me. I think that there's a way to see that transferring over in this next year. And I I'm still really intrigued to see how the role hierarchies are going to fall out, uh, given how many guys in this team can demand the ball and demand shots and just usage overall. But I do think there's a real opportunity for TJ to take a jump this year. Um, even if it's not a massive points per game jump, I do think that there's a way, the, the way in which that usage is coming could change. Um, and that would fundamentally change the Pacers in my opinion. Yeah, no, I mean, he, what he did in the bubble was taking ownership. That's something he didn't do before, not necessarily through any fault of his own. I, I don't think he was in the right role in Phoenix, for example. And I think when he came to the Pacers, there was this acclimation period. And then at the end of the bubble, he was just like, you know what? No, 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 I am, I am too good for this. I need to, to go out and play in a certain way because I can do this. I can go out and give you 40. I can go out and give you 35 consistently. So I might as well lean into that because that's what the Pacers have needed for a long time. They have needed that one guy who, who basically goes and, and says, you know what? We need points. <laughs> I'm going to produce that. He's got that capability. He, he shot over 40% from a three over his last two seasons, not including the, the injured season over four games. I, I'm discounting that entirely. So we're seeing that jump in shooting. We're seeing that jump in mentality. And we're seeing him be as aggressive on the drive as ever. So yeah, I would not be shocked whatsoever if Warren came back this season and had a career year, even if that means it's not raw points per game, as you alluded to, Mark, but just the aggressiveness, maybe the point per minute production instead. Uh, I would definitely be very, very willing to say that he's going to come in and have a huge year. Absolutely. The, the question for me is entirely physical. Like, how does he feel after a year off? I'm going to channel more and say he just needs to take more threes. He, I mean, he shot above 40% from three each of the last two years. There's no reason he should, you know, he took 4.2 in 2018, 19, 3.4 in 2019-20. We'll throw out last year because there's only a four-game sample size. But, I mean, in the bubble, he also shot about, I think, 50% from three on almost six attempts per game. Like, that's that's where I think we could see the real uptick in terms of scoring for him if he's willing to take more of a green light from deep yeah. Um, but my question, I want to throw this back at you, Mark, because it's nice to finally ask questions about fit issues instead of having to receive questions about clunky fit. Mm-hmm. Um, in the bubble, of course, Sabonis didn't play. So TJ Warren was playing more of the four than he is, you know, when Sabonis and Turner are both healthy, he's going to have to slide down to the three. So do you think, are they going to be able to find enough minutes for him 
at the four? Or do you think it really matters? Like, does it, you know, could he be as effective at the three as he was at the four in the bubble? Yeah, uh, I think that's such a good question because I, I was answering a question on this yesterday on No Bag Pod. And I think uh, the question was, is, is he more effective as a three or a four? And to me, he's kind of in that tweener mold, obviously. Like, uh, he is, he's effective in both in some ways. He can defend both. Um, he can play both. I think, and like you mentioned, it's uh, I really like what he can do as a four on offense because, like, part of the big reason why he exploded in the bubble a little bit is he started taking more threes and running spread pick and roll because of guys having to go being more aggressively guarded out because of, I mean, he was taking more stuff off the dribble in the bubble than he had the entire season. Um, just overall forcing him to be guarded uh, farther out. So I think it's more if he's playing like that and doing that at the three, he's going to get guarded the same way. Um, obviously, it's, it's different if you're playing – like if you're playing with both bigs, that changes the spacing on the floor a little bit, just given that teams don't necessarily defend Miles and, and Domas um, as they would regular floor spacing. Um, but I just think a lot of it comes down to, you know, what his shot profile is like and how he's taking it. Um, but I do agree, like getting him more opportunities at the four, like I really want to see him, like, I think if we're going to see opportunities with him, with the ball in his hands, it's going to come in bench lineups, like playing more as the four, um, getting some opportunities. Maybe you're getting Malcolm off ball more. Um, you're playing with Chris Duarte off the bench, TJ McConnell, like finding ways to get him the ball. Um, in unique ways. And that's part of the reason I'm excited because I think Rick Carlisle is a guy who we know can do that. Like he is one of the best at making sure guys get the ball in the right scenarios to really maximize what they can do. So that's part of the reason I'm really in on it happening, but I would agree. I think in some ways he makes more sense as a four. And that's part of another thing that's intriguing with this year is like, okay, you look at, I mean, obviously they had O'Shea Brissett for the last 20 games last year, but other than that, without TJ and O'Shea, they really had a bunch of combo guards and small wings and then Domas, Goga, and, and Miles. So there was no lineup versatility. And now you look at this coming year and you add in Chris Duarte, who's kind of a two-and-a-half position player, depending on how you look at it. You have TJ back who can, who can guard multiple positions, can play offensively at a few positions, and you have O'Shea. And I think you look at this team, and even though the fit isn't perfect, like – you can look at it and say through any given night, all 13 players could play. And it's not, again, it's not perfect, but I think you have a lot of ways you can go versatility wise um, that we didn't see last year, frankly. So I'm excited about that. Um, but ultimately, yes, I think TJ is better served at the four, which is me just again, hedging and uh, we're pretending <laughs> that we don't have to answer the big question in the room. Like I, I do think that's going to ultimately be addressed this year because um, you know, based on reporting and the way that the front offices talk, they still view it as an obstacle. I still don't appreciate that they put it out there publicly that it's an obstacle instead of like trying to be like all gung ho, like, yeah, we have two centers. We're going to play really hard and see how it goes. <laughs> it's more like, oh, we have two centers. We're going to try and figure it out somehow. Like, you know, obviously the way you present things publicly uh, changes how teams view what you're doing and can alter uh, the trade market a little bit. So we'll see with that. But um Hopefully that answers your question. That was a yeah. long, uh, long response. Um, uh, I'll say, I mean, the Sixers last year with Tobias Harris, that's what they did with him. You know, got him going with these like Tobias versus plus bench units, got him at the four. And that's how they, one of the ways that they helped unlock him having a career year. So I think that is a good thing for the Pacers to try to emulate with Warren. And I finally just figured out 
we're on a Pacers podcast. How did I forget to slander Boston in this way? That would have solved the Miles Turner issue if we just did the Gordon <laughs> yeah. Hayward sign and trade a year ago. But hi, Brian. There you are. <laughs> Welcome back. back. Well, back. Danny Ainge, I, I forgot that Danny Ainge is no longer. I, I I faded him from memory, but now I remember. That's oh, fine yeah. with me. Yeah. Almost, almost Danny. But I mean that. You know, I think that would have solved a lot of issues for both teams, honestly. And, you know, hey, instead they got two years of Josh Richardson. So good for them. <laughs> Very good for them. <laughs> um, yeah. So moving to my next quick header, uh, what do you guys think about a Demonis Sabonis scoring uptick? Because, again, it's less about, uh, well, I guess, slightly about raw points per game, but also more about individual self-creation, because I think, there's this idea like Domas was a 20 and 10 guy last year and everybody, I think there's a general consensus thought that he's kind of a finished product. I would disagree with that. Um, he's, I believe just turned 24 or he might be a year older than me. I can't remember off the top 25. of my head. Yeah. He just, yeah. he just turned 25. Um, so this is going to be year six for him. I love playing around with, I don't know if you guys have seen the dark projections. I love playing around with the dark projections and also just looking historically most bigs, you kind of find out where they're at, especially in the same like higher usage archetype. You find out, are they taking a leap or are they kind of where they're at by year six? Um, like it, just going back and looking at projections like Brooke Lopez and DeMarcus Cousins are really great examples to look at. It's guys who were primarily low post scorers who had some ball handling chops or well, Brooke less ball handling, but like more like they, they have higher feel ability to actually see things through. Um, you find out where they're at and if they're taking another leap at year six. And I think we're going to be at a very interesting cross-section for Domas to see, does he become a guy who really is more of an, uh, an individual scorer? Can he put the, um, can he find more ways of self-creation? Because even though he's scoring 20 points per game, a lot of it is not self-creating. A lot of it's opportunistic scoring, release valve scoring. Um, he started trying to put together some, some, some post moves that were more of a go-to and in, in sh- end of shot clock. Um, scenarios last year um, but he doesn't really quite have that go-to move especially when his his left hand gets taken away um, what are your thoughts on on a how that would change the team and b the possibility of that happening this year because I, I I'm kind of in on it happening I mean we saw Nikola Jokic go from barely 20 points to, to 26 uh, last season, obviously winning the MVP. But I think Jokic is a more natural shot creator for himself. Yep. Um, he and, and this is not to say that Sabonis is in any way a bad ball handler because for, for someone his size, he's amazing. There's a reason he's averaging almost seven assists per game. But he, like Jokic is just in a different he's on a different level oh yeah so so i think that blueprint you can you can sort of toss that aside but at the same time you also have to figure in you know sabonis is so much better at creating his own shot at at that height compared to other players at his position so maybe he understands the more experience he has and all right i actually have an opportunity here to up my volume a little bit maybe there is this move i can put on this specific guy like you know it's the intelligence level i always believe in intelligent players that they are going to get better having this mentality that a 25 year old has peaked when he has a high basketball IQ is bullshit. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to be that guy, but I, we have, we have so many examples in NBA history of guys who are smart basketball players who never really seem to stop developing in some capacity. When have we ever seen a clever basketball player stop their development at age 25? Like humor me because I don't, th- I can't think of one. 
Yeah, I, LeBron I, James uh, got to Miami and just said no more development. So, right. yeah, that was, <laughs> yeah, exactly right. No, but but so so because of that, I think that entire notion should be thrown out. Like, of course, he's not a done product. He's not even going to be a done product by the time that he's twenty nine, because players who think the game out will always challenge themselves. They will always find new avenues to be effective. Whether that means scoring, though, Mark. That's, I don't know, like maybe he pivots into being more of a facilitator and says, you know what, I'll get my 20 points, but I'm getting so smart now that I can see like all these patterns. So maybe instead of going after 25 points, I'm going to go after averaging eight and a half assists. Maybe that's like his mentality. We don't know, but I, I, I just, overall, I think there's going to be an uptick in production. Let's just call it production instead of scoring Mm -hmm. because he's just too good not to. And then I don't care what Nate Duncan says, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> well that makes two of us yeah yeah i mean it, i think Jokic's leap was in part out of necessity because you had they had jamal murray yeah and then michael porter jr who's really started to come into his own last year but after that i believe their fourth leading scorer was will barton at like 12 points per game so you know part of the withering depth that mort and i have hammered over the years uh with denver put more on the shoulders of their big three last year I think the Pacers are at the point right now where they don't necessarily need that because you still have, uh, you know, Brogdon, you have Lavert, you have TJ Warren, all of whom can shoulder a lot of this scoring load. So I don't know that Sabonis will go, will have a Jokic-esque leap because, I mean. Yeah, he's just guys... not Jokic. I mean, in all yeah. fairness, like he's not. Like, right. but also, yeah, like it's, it's, there's a lot to look at with it for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, as Mort said, like it, he can make more of an impact elsewhere, even if he doesn't take that leap as a scorer. Like if he improves, I mean, his playmaking is already great, but if he improves even more in that regard, if he becomes a better three point shooter, a better yes. defender, I would say that's honestly more impactful. Becoming more well rounded would be more impactful for the Pacers' overall trajectory than, you know, him going from 20 to 25 points per game. Yeah, a three-point shot, like a legit three-point shot at, at a higher volume with like 38 39%. Oh, man, like that would unlock so much for him. And that's not – the thing is, I don't even consider him a bad shooter. Like I don't look at Sabonis and going, oh, like he shouldn't take threes or anything. I just – I don't know what it is. I, I, I just think he might not be comfortable yet at that range or something along those lines, but like the mechanics are fine. I would have – no issue looking ahead in two years and saying, oh, yeah, he's one of the better big man three-point shooters. I, I think the tools are there. It's just a matter of implementing them. And, and by the way, you guys were right. Paul Millsap is not going to sign with Chicago because 30 minutes ago, he signed with the with the Nets. Oh, are you serious? Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Oh. Well, what? I, it, you got to be kidding. Okay, well, I guess never mind. That's East is solved. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I already thought that that's were the best team, but now, like, adding – that's unfair, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, – Not even that, unfair. That's like, that's awesome. I'm going to enjoy watching the Nets. But, like, wow. God. I'm kind of surprised that he chose there. But My, my pick for, for the Bucks repeating is uh, looking worse by the day. Uh, oh, yeah. man. Well, all right. So, obviously, I mean, Paul Millsap is in that. Now that changes things. <laughs> Um, here's a quick question I want to throw at you guys. Cause I had someone ask me about this yesterday. Um, and I was looking at it more in a raw sense, obviously Ben Simmons, uh, I mean, the, saying that he's available would be a, an understatement. He made it very clear yesterday, uh, regardless of any, uh, of any threads from, from Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons is available. 
and does is not going to play in, in Philadelphia next year by all counts. Um, it, I, I've thought a lot about the idea of him in Indiana. I'm not normally a huge fake trades guy, but I do think that, the, I mean, there has been uh, reported talks between the Pacers uh, and the Sixers about a potential Ben Simmons trade. Um, I believe it was Malcolm Brogdon and a first. Obviously, that didn't go through. I would not take that either if I was Philadelphia. Um, one of the ideas that got floated to me yesterday was Malcolm Brogdon and TJ Warren, who was on an expiring for Ben Simmons, which would uh, work exactly uh, in in cap without having to send anything else over. I personally, if I'm the Pacers, would not do that straight up because that is it's just hard to replicate the value. But in doing a a a, a counter offer, I'll look at it and say, okay, well, if you give me Ben Simmons and Tyrese Maxey, I'll give you those two players and say like however many picks you need to make that work. Say it's like three first round picks. I think some people would say maybe that's too steep. I think I look at that and say, well, it's not ideal for either team in some ways. Um, I think, I mean, I would say it's ideal for Phil, for, for, for the Pacers, but I also think Philadelphia is not getting anything ideal just given how things are going. Um, obviously they want an all-star player back, but I think getting two sub all-star players who can help you in the half court in ways that, that Ben has struggled while also getting enough picks to help you make future moves. Because I think it's less like, I think uh, my friend Jackson, Frank, our, I'm a, the big flex, like the ultimate, the great, great basketball mind Jackson, Jackson Frank put out yesterday. Like, I think that the Sixers are going to be more amenable to bringing in draft compensation now to make future moves because a, they are kind of low on draft picks right now. And also just given that they're not going to likely get an all-star player back or a similar player to Ben's talent back, they're going to need to make future tweaks with the roster. Um, I think I look at, I know I'm going on, on and on, but this, this has a point, but looking at it for the Pacers perspective, I think it makes sense because to me, I'm less in on the idea that a team has to quote unquote be, you know, all in or has to be a title contender to, to, to warrant keeping them together. But I do think, too, looking at this, you can say, okay, well, Malcolm Brogdon has two years left on his deal, including this year. TJ Warren is up for extension. I would – I mean, not up for extension. He already has been, but, like, his deal is expiring. Um, I, of course, am in the camp that they should do everything they can to re-sign TJ Warren because there are, like, eight players in the NBA who are six foot eight that can score from all three levels and be a plus on defense. But, you know, given the nature of things, not everyone wants to re-sign somebody to the deal that he might get. Um, I look at this and say – as wonky as that fit would be with with Ben in Indiana alongside Domas, like it's hard to picture that they play make from the same spots. Ben's not necessarily a great driver, but he's obviously a great playmaker. Um, but I think you look at it and say, okay, well, he's he's 24 years old or, or 25. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm really bad with ages today, but uh, I believe. yeah, exactly. Like, okay. I think it's, it's, it's close enough, you know, uh, already a three-time all-star. He's the best player in that deal. He's, locked up long term all three of those things make sense for indiana and it's a team like you can say okay well we're going to try and fabricate the team around him and, and domas and figure that out get talent figure it out later you probably acknowledge that there's going to be a move for for miles or whoever whichever big you want to trade in that alongside in a in a consequential deal after um it's not perfect, but I think you look at it and say, okay, well, this maybe makes us better, like a, a one step back, two steps forward approach. What do you guys think of that trade? Because I know that I, I just threw a lot at you, but where are you at with the idea of that or just the idea of Ben in, in Indiana in general? Brian, yeah. this is yours. 
Yeah, I mean, I haven't loved the idea of Ben in Indiana unless there is a subsequent move. And I think yep. if you're going to do it, conceptually, I think he fits a lot better with Miles Turner than he does Sabonis. And yep. you know, based on kind of the tenor of Miles Turner trade talks over the last few years, this might be a question for you. Like, why is the league so low on Miles Turner? I feel like Dude, I have no idea. It's crazy to me. Like, I uh, not to go off on a giant tangent, but especially last year. I mean, partially I'm biased. Like I'm not a fan of the team, but obviously I've, I've talked to miles. I like miles a lot. Like um, I don't really understand why the league is so low on him. Like he was generally uh, until this past year, like he wasn't a positive offensive player to be completely mm -hmm. honest. Like, yes, he does space the floor, but it was more about his decision-making that really improved last year. Like that was his best season as a decision-maker as a cutter. Like that was the first time where, you don't see him stopping to make reads like he's just making them. He's making plays happen instead of pausing. Um, and you put that on top of like, I thought if he was healthy the entire year, he should have finished second in defensive player of the year um, and made an all defense team. Unfortunately, he gets injured at the end of the year. So that doesn't happen. But even without statistical production being better last year, I thought it was the best season of his career. And he was the top 50 player pretty easily to me. Um I don't know why the league is so low on him, to be frank, especially considering like he is not a problem in the locker room. By all accounts, just an awesome dude. He's on a, a relatively team-friendly contract, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure why teams are so low on him. It's yeah. uh, it's a little bit vexing to me. It, me too. But I, that's I, my point is, you know, if they're going to have to trade one of these two bigs and based on the league seemingly not valuing Miles as, you know, sounds like both of us think, they should, you'll get more back for Sabonis. And I think if Turner and Simmons are a better fit anyway, it's kind of two birds, one stone here. So maybe you turn around, flip Sabonis, you know, I don't know where or for what, but you know, as Simmons Turner pairing makes a lot of sense to me conceptually. Um, you know, I, I don't think the Sixers want to give up Tyrese Max. Yeah, no, I, I definitely not. If, if it's for Dame, they'll do it. But, I, you know, for a package like Brogdon and Warren, I would be surprised. I mean, as you said, yeah, maybe too. they can sweeten the, the deal with some picks and that'll make them change their minds. But they really need a playmaker back in a Ben Simmons trade. Like that's all of these, you know, hypothetical Ben Simmons trades that I see, the ones that don't include a point guard, I, I'm just automatically checked out because they just don't have another option on the roster. Like Tyrese Maxey is their primary backup playmaker. Shake Milton proved last year he is, you know, overexposed in that role. So they need someone back, you know, and Brogdon, I think, could fill that role well. Um, but I don't think they'd want to give up Simmons and Maxey because then once again, we have Brogdon. And it's like Jaden Springer would be their next best playmaker. Doc Rivers is not going to trust a rookie point guard, as we saw with Maxey last year. Just put him um, in a Mike Scott jersey, you know, play 25 yeah. minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we're, I don't remember the exact specifics of this, but when like all of this first started back yeah. during the playoffs, we were going through every single team and trying to figure out a Ben Simmons trade and realized there aren't really a lot of teams that can come up with, you know, just two team deals that make sense for both sides. So we started expanding a little bit. We yeah. identified Indiana because I think Brogdon would be a good target for Phillies. Yeah. I think the framework we came up with, not including picks, you know, they'd have to be included yeah, somehow, yeah. but it was like uh, Simmons to Portland, CJ McCollum to Indy, 
And then I think it was Brogdon and Lamb for salary matching purposes. Yeah, back to so, something along those lines. What we did, <laughs> you and I had agreed we would do a, a YouTube exclusive video for 20 minutes, and we ended up recording for 72. Yeah. And we just wow. went <laughs> went through. We I think we even at one point had San Antonio. In, yeah. involved as well yeah. like there were just we were just going through it, but but the, the deal we landed on it, like the larger framework i don't i don't remember the entire framework but what definitely was malcolm brockton going the other way because he would just be such a tremendous fit with joel Embiid. and but but i do also remember us saying that we didn't want simmons to end up in indiana because that didn't really make a whole lot of sense mm-hmm. like they needed another shooter and you're right i think it was cj who eventually ended up in Indiana with something else, but like a framework of that magnitude, I think is is interesting nonetheless. Whether the Indiana Pacers would think so, I, I don't know. And, and by the way, the fact that you just proposed that the Pacers send away Sabonis over Miles, I mean, do we really need to give a Duncan something to celebrate here? <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't. Yeah, it's. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, I was, you know, I, I think I'm not saying that as a Sabonis is a bum. This guy's overrated. It's like, I just think if we're talking, if you really want Ben Simmons on this team, you have to build around Ben Simmons. He, his strengths and weaknesses are such that you cannot, he is not a plug and play player who fits yeah. with that. Like Malcolm Brogdon, plug and play guy. You could build, yeah. you know, you could just throw him on whatever team you have and he will be fine. Ben Simmons, you have to build around. And I don't know that the spacing of a Simmons Sabonis front court would make a ton of sense. Whereas, you know, Miles Turner is a frustrating player because we've been waiting for him to take this, you know, leap as a scorer and like jump to a 20 points per game guy. And I, it might not ever happen and that's okay. But, you know, he's content with kind of hanging out on the perimeter and launching threes. Whereas Joel Embiid, like he is better suited, like he'll take them, but you know, he's so dominant near the basket that you are wasting him if you are just camping him out that's not the case with miles turner you're not going to run a ton of post-ups for miles turner so offensively those two guys fit well and then defensively i mean a simmons turner front court oh man it makes me happy to think about it that's for sure i love defense so it'd be very fun to watch yeah i mean it might be the best defensive front court in the league so i think indiana should couldn't score Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> well, we'll I worry think. about that in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, no, but I, yeah, in, go ahead. Indiana should be interested. I just think it, another shoe would have to drop. It would probably have to be Sabonis. Uh, and overall, I mean, it does seem like Simmons trade stuff will escalate in the coming days and weeks. But I think if there was a two-team deal to be had between the Sixers and, and any team, it would have already been done. So I think yeah. it's going to end up being a three or four-team framework. But. Isn't the entire issue here the fact that the NBA has changed, right? We, we, we you know, we talk about how defense and, and offense no longer is 50-50. Like offense now rules the game. We, we are seeing that self-creating shot or self shot creating players who can create the, you know, jump shots and create for others. Like that is the ultimate premium here. And defense has been slowly put into the background because you're just realizing consistently elite offense beats elite defense every single time. And for Ben, who doesn't have that, 
that skill, that offensive skill where he can go out and, and break that get guys down off the dribble and, and, and hit a step back three or whatever, you know, that, that means that you put a cap on your offense. Like, sure. You might get the best defense in the league since the 2004 Detroit Pistons, but what the hell is that good for if you top out at like 94 points per game? Because you know, as we know, Simmons is someone who swings the court substantially. Um, yeah. It's just so hard for me to gauge the trade value of that. And then we add another complication to it because the Sixers are a win now mode because of Joel Embiid. Ben Simmons is a win now player. So they would want to get a win now player in return, but no team is out there going, yeah, we'll give you our win now player for your win now player because no, we feel comfortable with where we are. So it, it, it's it's a very difficult process. Like normally you would have guy or teams rather who are trying to pivot to get younger or young teams pivoting to saying, well, let's cash our chips and go in and on win now thing. The Sixers don't have that luxury. They, they can't pivot to youth right now. That, that would be such a slap in the face to the entire fan base and Joe Embiid is there. So you can't do that. You can't really accelerate the timeline because it's already accelerated. What can you accelerate it to? Trading for a bunch of 35 year olds like the Lakers? No, thank you. So it's, it's such a, difficult situation that they're finding themselves in, I think. And I think that is in part why you're struggling to find packages out there. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's, that makes a ton of sense to me. Um, it's really tough to, to think about and evaluate too, because I think in, I mean, I, I say all this knowing, like, I, I don't think the, the, the Pacers are going to do any kind of deal that sends out two core players like that just for Ben Simmons back. And I, I mean that like, in, in the best way, like Ben is a great player. And I think he would be the second or best player on this team, regardless of how you look at it. Like, I think you're, you're picking hairs between him and Sabonis. They both have flaws. They're both really good. Um, but given where this team is at, they're not in a state where they, as much as I don't necessarily agree with it, they're not in a state where they want to take one step back, two steps forward because they brought in Rick Carlisle. They don't really have any intentions of becoming a non-playoff team. Not that I think that they wouldn't be a playoff team, or at least a play-in team, but um, I just don't think that they're in a stage where they want to do that. Um, so I, I don't know. It's it's really interesting to look at. And with Philadelphia too, it's so tough because I've played around so much with trying to figure out what works. And to me, like I think San Antonio has the best package possible. Like if you're looking at a team that's just going to send a couple of uh, of good rotation players back, like I think that's the team that probably makes the most sense. But also. I have no idea what to make of what San, San Antonio is doing right now. Like um, they're doing the same kind of thing where they're like, well, we're going to see what our young guys do, but also bring in veterans and not be a rebuilding team. And like, it's just, a, it's a very weird roster right now. I like a lot of their guys, but I also just am not sure how to feel about them. Um, and I don't really know what to gauge of their, their willingness to give anybody up, but yeah, it's it's such an odd spot, and especially too, like I find it rich that the Kings don't want to trade Tyrese Halliburton for for Ben Simmons, who would be the best player they've had, yeah. in, you know, forever. <laughs> um, like another uh, great. Don't buy point, that like, though. I'll, I'll I'll just interject. I don't buy that for a second. Yeah, I hope. I, not. I mean, I hope. I hope it's not true. Yeah. Like, no offense to Ty- like Tyrese is a really good player, but like Ben Simmons is as many All Star yeah. appearances as the entire organization does since two thousand four. <laughs> so like. That and it's not all about all-star appearances or whatever, but like I I don't know. It's it's such a weird situation. And to think that we were gonna be this like I, a year ago, I was not prepared to be in this situation or, or think about like where the Sixers were at like this. 
Yeah, I, I actually do think the Kings are being that stubborn and thinking like, oh yeah, we're not going to trade our two best players. I mean, the Timberwolves sound like they are too, right? It's like they're not even willing to discuss D'Angelo Russell and like most Sixers fans are like, we don't want him. Don't you? <laughs> yeah. Even if you offered him, we don't want him. They're like, no, no, no. We we want your second or third best player, but we won't give up any of our three best players, even though we've missed the playoffs for. Would you like, like Jordan McLaughlin? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> he can get to the paint. Yes. Malik Beasley will really do it for you. Like, and I like yeah. Malik Beasley, but no, I mean, all these bad teams need to realize you are bad for a reason. And maybe you should not continue to build around the same players year after year. Uh, alas, they are bad for a reason. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you I though. Mean, I think the Spurs, if there is a two-team deal to be had, I think the Spurs can put together the most compelling package outside of obviously Dame and Portland. But do you think, with the, just to wrap up the Kings, do you think that is a, a front office issue, or do you think it's an ownership issue? Because I, the only way I see this uh, as if if that story is real, that Tyrese Halliburton is not on the table, I think this comes back to Vivek Ranadive. Yeah. Um... First of all, have you guys ever seen the Stauskas video? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. One of our favorites to reference. It's so great. Yes, yes. Um, One, two, so three. Great. Nick Rooks. Absolutely. Yeah, God, it's so great. Uh, yeah, and I think the the issue with Sacramento is it's clearly not just like there's so much more going on there yeah. that's not just on-court stuff. Um, like a lot of the reason, and this is not anything like reported, but this is just my inclination. Like I like Davion Mitchell. I think the reason he went that high is because – he wanted to play he was willing to play in sacramento like i think to them it matters a lot to have guys who want to play there uh because frankly there are not a ton of guys who want to go to sacramento um but also that's what's so weird about this like ben literally like he did not cross sacramento off his short list like right. and then I, I don't know i have no idea what to make of it um hopefully we'll see more like like you mentioned brian it seems like we're gonna have a real answer to this within a week or two um maybe even sooner but um i don't know we'll see uh, well, guys, I I appreciate you taking this much time out of your day to to, to have this pod. It was a really great time. I look forward to doing it again. Um, is there anything you want to plug? Where can people find you at? Um, any anything exciting coming up this weekend? You can find us anywhere podcasts are found. The NBA Pod on Twitter. Uh, it's called the NBA Podcast. So please follow us there and subscribe, download all that good stuff. Um, you can also find both of our work. At Forbes Sports, Mort covers the NBA at large. I do mostly Sixers with some salary cap stuff sprinkled in as well. Um, but yeah, I wrote about the the Ben Simmons situation yesterday, and I'm I'm sure I will be writing about it again very soon. <laughs> Undoubtedly. Yeah, and you can also find us on YouTube where we have the NBA Show, which is basically our podcast split into smaller segments that we. You know, sprinkle out over the course of a week uh so so people who want a visual medium gets that well guys thank you a ton to everyone listening i recommend uh following the nba pod and, and, and morton brian both as well they're great guys and i enjoy talking to them and and hearing their basketball takes as well um and most importantly just have a good rest of your day thank you for listening